Good morning, and welcome to episode 616 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hiya. How, how are you? All right. Um, I, uh, before we introduce our guests for today, uh, we're talking about the Diamondbacks, and I was at a game recently with Diamondbacks general manager Dave Stewart. Ooh. How about that? <laughs> was he at a game with you, or was it more you were there with him, or you were in the same ballpark, but he was not aware of you? I was sitting, uh, for a bit, I was sitting in the row behind him, and then I s- moved over to the seat uh, like across the aisle from him, and at that point he left. Uh, it was it was at a it was at the Berkeley uh, the sorry the Cal Duke game in Berkeley, uh, and Duke starting pitcher Mike Matuella, I believe, is the name, uh, who is the probably the top college player uh, in this year's draft, uh, was pitching, and so uh, Dave Stewart has the first overall pick this year, um, and uh, so Matuella. That's how you pronounce his name. Is a contender to go with that pick, and I was thinking while I was there that they should, instead of giving the first pick to the team that had the worst record, they should just always give it to the new GM. Like that should be <laughs> your 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 thing. You know, you get you, you but get. There are like five new GMs. No, I know. The, then you'd have to come up with a tiebreaker. Although maybe the last one hired. Uh huh. I don't well. know. Well, we should have just had you speak about the Diamondbacks solo, because after sitting a row behind Dave Stewart for part of a baseball game, you are probably yeah, an I expert. Yeah, I to that, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll that, that, uh, that voice is David Raposa, who um, uh, you know from all sorts of great, clever places on the internet, like uh, The All and Pitchfork and places that are not sports related, but you might also know about him uh, from his yaks. Yaks. He yaks with David Roth at the Classical. They are uh, one of the great things written about baseball when they when they come out. They don't come out very often, what, and and when they do, they're uh, they're mostly about baseball. Yeah, there is one I'd at baseball perspective. Maybe on a good day. And later in the show, Sadev will be talking to Nick Picoro of the Arizona Republic. So uh, welcome, David. You wrote the essay for the uh, for the for the Diamond Rex for the 2015 annual. And uh, hello, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. So I wanted to ask you the Diamondbacks. Um, we don't know that what the Dave Stewart regime is going to be like, although I guess we can talk about their winter. But we do know what the Kevin Towers regime was like and what the Kirk Gibson regime was like. And I just don't know that there is a modern team in, I don't know, the past 25 years that had such a defined personality and that particularly that had a personality that was so defined on the field and that was the same as their one off the field. And I think kind of feel like maybe teams back in the old days had that like you'd have the drinking team and you'd have the (laughs) the the southern boys team or whatever they would have but you didn't really have you don't like there's nothing about the indians as a group that is permanent or um intrinsic to their upbringing but for the diamondbacks there kind of was and i just wonder do you think looking back at the towers and gibson regime does their does their character as the fighting diamondbacks or whatever they were uh did it help or hurt them do you think that it cost them a win did it gain them a win did it cost or gain them a thousand wins do you think that there's any like kind of judgment that we can make on that um i guess as far as them being a bunch of like knuckleheads for lack of a better word i'm not sure if it really 
that didn't cost them so much on the field as much as just Towers not making smart moves to get like his like gas house gang or whatever you want to call it like together because like I say in my essay he seemed to want to say especially with the Justin Upton trade that he wanted a certain type of player in the organization but looking at the moves that he made like you know just swapping guys in and not like haphazardly it didn't seem like he knew what that player really was maybe it was a reliever I really can't say for sure honestly what what were the various types of diamondback that he seemed to pursue um, well, it seemed that he was just pursuing either mid-rotate, like I say in my essay, I think it was like mid-rotation starters that he paid for more than that sort of role, closers that were good ones or had a lot of saves to, on their resume, but possibly had like, you know, seen their best days, or not Justin Upton. That's uh-huh. essentially it. <laughs> Which I mean, like starting from that as your thesis is kind of like the bad way to go. Like after, if I was writing like a draft and I end up with my first paragraph ending with not just enough to like take a break, have a cup of coffee, and then rewrite. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, because it really does seem like 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 anything that you're excluding that is just enough. Then you've mm-hmm. already you've kind of probably excluded a good thing. Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, it never really came out like what just enough did to like upset the towers like Gibson regime. And I don't know if it was like like maybe Goldschmidt was like one like bad word about or like good word about Obama or Scott knows even I can't even think of what. Goldschmidt could say to justify him getting tossed, but I imagine he might have been on the block as well, like if, like, you know, the wins were right or something like that. Do you think that there is a place in the world for a general manager who speaks the way that Kevin Towers does? Is he just, is a GM who sounds like that, who is that willing to talk and say quotable things just doomed from the start? Or would he have been fine saying the things he said if he had not made the moves he had made? I think, yeah, I mean, if he, if he talked that talk, but then walked the walk that got them to a place that was better than being an 81-win team, I don't know what it was like, I think, 64-win team last year, then he could have said whatever he wanted. Like, I guess you could take an example, like, maybe Mark Cuban. I mean, he was he's not as, as inflammatory as Towers was in terms of what he said, at least in terms of what he talked about. But he, like, you know, talks a good game as the owner, but then he also has the guys that he pays to make decisions that put together a good team. So if, like, Towers and that regime was able to do that, then... He could have just like said the world was flat and dinosaurs like existed like three thousand years ago or whatever, and he'd be fine as long as they put like wins on the board. Isn't it weird though that uh, that Kevin Towers was a GM for like seventy years in San Diego, and this never that I know of came up. Like he was he was never a di- he was never Kevin Towers Diamondback when he yeah. was you know in San Diego. It, it feels odd that like all of a sudden he went from being this. Like classic old school guy who everybody sort of respected a lot. Like mm-hmm. not really any distinguishable from uh, any way distinguishable from you know like your Walt Jockeys and your Dave Dombrowski's and and so on. And all of a sudden he became this like really like gaff prone dude in Arizona. I, I, like it sets it seems weird. It seems sudden. And I liked Kevin Towers a lot. I don't know that I don't like him now because I still remember Kevin Towers from San Diego. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't know if it was because just. Yeah coincided like when he was with san diego i don't want to sound like an old fart but maybe the internet was or like just like the media cycle wasn't as invasive as it is now or maybe he had more guys on his like on his side in san diego they didn't in arizona or just he drank like the wrong cup of coffee one day and all of a sudden the switch flipped and he became just like a <laughs> loudmouth nut job i don't know but yeah like I, I remember like him being like a shrewd like not like a mastermind GM was just like a very shrewd practical type of guy that made moves to help his team and kept his mouth shut 
And then when he went to the Diamondbacks, all of a sudden decided to flip the script both ways, where he couldn't shut up and then made deleterious moves. So how deleterious did they turn out to be? Because that's the thing. At the time, they were widely criticized. And then it seemed like for a moment, maybe it was turning out that they weren't as bad as everyone had feared. And then now maybe we've reached another stage. The dust has sort of settled at this point where we can kind of say whether some of the moves worked out or not. So in retrospect, how how do those moves stand up, do you think? Uh, I guess as the de facto Diamondbacks expert on this call, and I'm putting big scare quotes around <laughs> that when I say that. <laughs> I mean, I guess the, like the crowning achievement he had was that one that first year with Kirk Gibson where they, I believe, won 100, not 100 games, but they 100%. were in first place and they did really well. He won manager of the year, I believe. Yeah, they won 94 games, lost in the LDS, but, and that was like, that's what he's, I guess, if you want to be nice about it, that's what he should be known for. But then that team, in my mind, seemed to overachieve in terms of guys having really good years and not getting hurt. And Towers actually was good Towers, I guess, that year, because he made a good move to get Aaron Hill from the Blue Jays, and he happened to help him down the stretch and stuff. But then after that, after those following two 500 seasons, he just seemed to be making moves for the sake of moves and making bad moves in in addition to that, like the Justin Upton stuff and other things like that, just swapping out organizational depth for guys that he probably didn't really need per se, at least not need in terms of making the team better. And then it's almost like last year, the bill came due and like everything that could go wrong, take go wrong both on both sides of the field and it just fell apart. But I guess when I first got assigned this essay, I was thinking that I would just be more about, I'd be writing something about like, you know, how towers and Gibson screwed the pooch. And now they're like, you know, dead in the water for a long time. And as far as I can tell, they're not as bad off as I thought they would be, which isn't great, but isn't not great. It could be, it could be worse, <laughs> which is not really nice thing to say, I guess. But yeah. could be the Rockies, who we talked about with David Roth last week. There you go. Um, do you yeah. have do you have any sense of whether this new regime is fundamentally different? I mean, there were. There were some some comments about wanting to get more advanced analytically, and then they they hired a director of baseball analytics and research, but he was like a, a former veterinarian who was an oh, old wow. old friend of Tony La Russa. Well, um, who do we know? I guess that works. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and then there were some comments. Uh, I guess uh, I don't know. Last month, Sam and I talked about a bit where. Stewart was talking about James Shields, and he was saying James Shields is a throwback guy, and we're a throwback team, and we're a true baseball team, and the other teams are more geared toward analytics. And as Sam and I discussed at the time, maybe that's just sort of a front. Maybe he thought that would appeal to James Shields, or maybe that's actually how he sees himself. So I don't know whether you can glean anything from the public comments about whether this is going to be a fundamentally different regime than the Towers and Gibson one was, or whether it's just different names and same philosophies. I mean, it's going to be better just because they won't have like the sort of like, you no know, volcanic nonsense going on that they did when Towers like, you no know, at his prime, so to speak. But like, I remember when um, Chip Hill was hired and a lot of people were talking about how, you know, he's worked under Bob Melvin. He has all these, he has like a good resume. He'll be like a, the guy that the Diamondbacks in order to like, you know, get their like, you know, sea legs back again. And then I saw, I guess he had a chat on Fangraphs a little while ago, like right after he was hired. And he was doing, you know, essentially, what, every question he was asked, he was doing a lot of like, offering up a lot of like baseball boilerplate about, you know, doing things the right way, um, focusing on fundamentals, the sort of like boring stuff that you really don't want to hear from a manager in 2015 per se, as like the basis of your, like, you know, managerial, I guess not career, but 
what you're putting forth to fans and folks that follow baseball as what you want to do with the Diamondbacks. But as a change of pace for what was going on prior to that, then it's like, you know, a breath of fresh air. So it's like it's like probably more of the same in terms of just being sort of like middle of the road, but given where they were, that's probably better off in a way. Do you guys? So think I guess small... I guess oh, not, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I guess yeah. the one thing that kind of not irks me, but kind of confuses me about the whole like you know, Dave Stewart as a GM is his emphasis on pitching. Because I mean I'm no like I said I am the Diamondbacks expert, quote unquote, but it looks like he was he was like I guess one of the things he talked about a lot was just. They need starting pitching depth there. That's what they're focused on. But it looks like even after what Towers did to the farm system and what they have on the roster, they had that depth already. So when Dave Stewart makes one of his moves for the offseason, getting Jeremy Hellickson, it seems to not really jive with what he wants to do in terms of getting good pitchers on the staff. It's like, a, it's like I guess, a, a move that you want to make in terms of Hellickson's a guy that is cheap because he hasn't done well, but he had a proven track record. But at the same time, that's not really a guy you want to bring in when you have guys like Randall Delgado, you have Daniel Hudson coming off the DL this year, hopefully Patrick Corbin coming off the DL. That Hudson's a guy you want to get rid of. The Hudson's a guy that you get pitching depth for because Hudson's not reliable. At least he was in the last couple of years. So I'm not sure if that really jives. Just like that whole ph- that philosophy, for lack of a better word. Do you think it, not you necessarily, either of you, <laughs> I'm curious. I'll, the next, I have two questions for both of you. Do you think that it makes uh, that that hiring an agent to be your GM is like super brilliant or like uh, weird weird cognitive dissonance with foxes and hen houses and things like that going on? Oh, uh, I guess I mean I'll, I guess I'll go first. What the heck? Um, as far as my perception of the whole thing with Dave Stewart being hired, I almost see it. I guess the way that with in basketball, the way the Knicks hired. Derek Fisher as a rookie coach with no experience other than like his playing experience, but then having Phil Jackson there as the GM and also having him as the tutor to help, I guess, Derek Fisher figure out how to actually be an effective coach and also work within the system that Phil Jackson wants to implement. And I'm thinking that might be the same way that thing that's happening with LaRusa sort of guiding Dave Stewart, who has connections to baseball, obviously through his career and through his work as an agent, but LaRusa will probably be like Stewart's, mentor in terms of teaching him the ways of being like a guy that has to make front office decisions. So it might work out. It seems like it couldn't be a bad thing to have someone who knows what the other side is thinking in a negotiation, right? I mean, he's, he's been in that situation. He knows what the player's concerns are. He knows what the agent might be telling him. So I don't know. I, I read at the time that there could be some resentment, like in the front office, you have this guy coming in from outside who has kind of been on the other side of issues, and maybe he's already independently wealthy from that work or from his playing career, and maybe some, some I don't know, someone could be rubbed the wrong way by him just vaulting to the top of that front office. But if that's not an issue, then it seems like it would it would help to have more people from different backgrounds. Whenever they ask like uh, anonymous sources or whatever how much a baseball player is worth, how much you know James Shields should get paid or whatever, if they ask agents, the numbers are always super high, and if they ask GMs, they're always super low. And I guess that could be because they just don't want to give up any like if they have any chance of influencing the market to you know benefit their side, like if it might someday come back to them because James Shields gets paid and therefore your guy gets paid or whatever, then maybe they take that. But I always just sort of took that to be like actual good faith estimates that they were making that just reflect their bias based on uh, day in day out representing only one side and seeing the, the game from only one side that's my that's my opinion 
<laughs> okay, sounds good. Go. I right. accept it. Do you think that Kurt Gibson will ever manage again? Um, I don't see him. I, I, he could. I mean, I guess given how things shook out in Arizona, he might need like a year or two to sort of have people forget how things ended up. But I mean, I, he's Kurt Gibson. I can't. And he, I mean, it's a sound cliche, but I guess he kind of belongs in a baseball field, hopefully. But he probably needs to change his ways or at least look like he's changed his ways in order to have someone give him another chance. Or maybe Kevin Towers gets hired by someone else and then brings him in. Who knows? Or he changes his name. That could work too. <laughs> so the Diamondbacks made a few trades this winter. There was the Montero trade, which sort of seems like a salary dump, or at least right now their their top catcher on the depth chart is maybe Tuffy Ghostwitch. That's what um, I saw too, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, they finally traded a shortstop. That was rumored for quite a while because they had Owings and they had Ahmed and they had Gregorius and they got rid of Gregorius. And then they also traded Wade Miley, which was maybe less predicted or less predictable. Mm-hmm. So, and you mentioned Helixson already. Were the, the guys that they got rid of, did you think that, that it made sense for them to get rid of those guys or that they got something good back? Was there were there salary concerns perhaps? or was Well, this... I guess, I mean, everyone except for Miley, it makes sense that they got rid of them in terms of just like a salary dump. They're like, you know, clearing off space for whatever they need. Mm-hmm. The Miley trade, I guess, is the most interesting one just because it seems that's the one they didn't really need to do. And again, going back to me harping about like Stewart, like complaining about like pitching depth or wanting pitching depth. Miley's a guy you'd probably hold on to if you want to do that, but he's also a guy that has value that you give up in order to, I guess, in a similar way as what they got back with the um, Montero trade. They were just essentially acquiring arms or acquiring bodies to restock the lower, like the minor leagues and also have like, you know, a bunch of like lottery tickets to like bet on. And that's like, I guess right now, I mean, they're not like I've been saying, they're not in a bad situation, but they're looking up the Dodgers and Padres. And I guess the Giants, though, I guess this is like an odd year, so maybe not. I'm not sure. But they, they need to do that sort of thing where they need to essentially restock and take some like shrewd chances, but not like get like too like far gone in terms of what they do. And these moves seem to be along those lines. And I guess Yasmani Tomas is also along those lines. Yeah. So I guess that that's a little bit more riskier given you're paying, I think it was like 68.5. Yeah, uh, for a guy yeah. that's never... I mean, it's just, actually, he's never played Major League Baseball before. He's played baseball, obviously. but And I guess everything that I've read about him says that he's like a Puig or a Cespedes, but not as athletic or not as like speedy, which doesn't really like, you know, get my socks up, whatever that. I'm not even sure what that means. Anything. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's the move that if you're trying to sell it to like the fans, like, oh, we're not just rebuilding. We're trying to actually, we're not just rebuilding as just to rebuild. We're rebuilding to try to actually put something on the field that's going to win games. And, this move, is, I guess it is kind of cagey, I guess. $11 million for a lottery ticket for a guy that could turn out to be like you know a, a good like guy at third base or left field if he like ages out of third base might be worth it. So I'm looking at our projected depth charts and the Dodgers, and also the Cardinals for that matter, uh, are, better, are projected to be better than the Diamondbacks at every single position except first base. And the Dodgers are very close. Like they're less than a win projected behind at first base. So they're projected to be... Yeah, I just said all that. I said all the, <laughs> I was going to repeat all the same words. I'm not going to. That sounded good, though. So The good news is that the Diamondbacks rank 7th on BP's organizational rankings today at BP. So there is some minor league talent there. None of us is experts on Diamondbacks prospects, but they have some, evidently. Mm-hmm. It's good news. It is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the one thing that was – I mean, I, 
when I was doing the research to write the essay, I looked at the guys that they got rid of the last couple of years, like um, Ryan Cook, Jared Parker, Adam Eaton, Tyler Skaggs. I mean, those are guys Bauer, that yeah. yeah, those are guys you'd want to hold on to if you're like a mid-level like some team, like looking up at teams that are, have like bigger pockets than you. Those are the guys you want to hold on to or flip at the right time. And Towers are just like trading those guys away like they were like you no know, garbage to be thrown into the trash can. But at the same time, while he was doing that, they still have guys. I mean, they have AJ Pollock under control for a while. They have pretty good pitching depth. I mean, they got the Vidal Nuno from the Yankees, who's proved pretty, pretty good at least last year. Could be like you know a good back of the rotation guy, stuff like that. And they have Paul Goldschmidt under a ridiculously like you know favorable contract for the next four or five years, I think. So. Yeah, it, they have. It looks like maybe two back of the rotations, entire back of the rotations right now. They're. They've got like twelve guys competing for a roster for yeah. for rotation spots. I don't know how that will shake out. Yeah, the depth chart I'm looking at has Josh Commenter as their number one starter, which is not <laughs> a good look. But then the guys in back of them aren't that much worse, so it could be worse. Maybe that's their slogan this year. Uh, Arizona Dimex twenty fifteen. It could be worse. Put that on a banner. Yeah, there's always Archie Bradley. A year ago at this time we were talking about Archie Bradley starting spring training with the team. All right, so as we do, we're going to make you tell us how many wins the Diamondbacks are going to have, and we'll expect you to be exactly right. And well, keep course. in mind, before you name a number, Tony Orusa has said that he would be absolutely brokenhearted if the Diamondbacks don't have a winning record this year. Oh, uh, so I'm so be sorry. Careful. <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you mean, predict gonna... any fewer than 82 wins, I mean, you are breaking Tony's heart. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, they're going to be better than 64 wins because they're hopefully going to have Goldschmidt for the whole year or most of it. Trumbo should hopefully bounce back-ish. Aaron Hill might bounce back. They have A.J. Pollock for a full year. They're better, and it, Tomas doesn't like totally tank, but I can't see them doing better than maybe like 72 wins, maybe 73, without the strong headwind. Breaking Tony's heart. Eh, that's what I do. Tony, did, Tony didn't say he'd be brokenhearted if, if David if, predicted. If David <laughs> he's, he's just, yeah, he's trying to cushion the blow. That'd be awesome if you said that. <laughs> just trying to get him accustomed to the idea now so that it hurts less in September. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for our first segment. You can find... David on Twitter at false binary. You can find all of his work at various outlets at davidraposa.com. Thanks, David. Thank you. And stay tuned for the second segment in which Sahadev speaks to AZ Central Diamondbacks beat writer Nick Picoro. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me today is Nick Picoro, Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic. Nick, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Nick, uh, we're going to, I believe this is Picota's sixth worst team. Uh, is that correct? Yes, yeah, sixth worst team in the NL, which I actually think is... Uh, is uh, is kind of good for for the Diamondbacks with the roster that I'm looking at, but I I think I'm uh, exceptionally negative with this with this team right <laughs> now. Uh, I'll and so I'll kick it right off with the negativity. Uh, there are a couple things that just I look at the roster and I'm scratching my head, and 
the two that stick out to me are uh, the the combo of uh, Tuffy Gosewich and Oscar Hernandez behind the plate and sticking at least from you know I haven't seen him play obviously except for some video but sticking Yasmani Tamas talking to some scouts that seems like a, a stretch to stick him at third uh, what what are the plans there is this is this realistic to for for them to have that combo behind the plate and to stick Tomas at third or are they kind of uh, you know going out on a limb with these moves uh, I mean it's, it seems like they're kind of going out on a limb at least compared to what the rest of the industry thinks um, on, on both those things I, I guess if you wanted to to look at the the catching situation and kind of look at the bright side on a lot of guys uh, throughout the lineup um, they, they do have some hitters that have the potential to be you know above average guys kind of all, all over the field. Um, it, again, if you're, if you're going to be optimistic, you know, you're going to project a, a bounce back for Aaron Hill. You're going to have his money Tomas sticking at third and hitting. Um, Chris Owens is a pretty good hitter. Uh, AJ Pollock showed a lot uh, when he was on the field last year, um, you know, banking on a, a bounce back for Trumbo. Um, and then I don't know what they'll do in left field, David Peralta, Ender Inciarte, but you know, I mean, if, if you're going to say, like, you know, this is this is the kind of lineup uh, that could, that could uh, you know, sustain a, a very light-hitting uh, catcher, uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess if you're, if you're being optimistic on all those guys, it could make sense. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to be uh, open-minded about Tomas at third base. Uh, I, I watched him take ground balls one day last week alongside uh, Jake Lamb. Um, and it really wasn't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to, to be hammering him, you know, too much. It's, you know, the guy hasn't played a whole lot of third base. Um, he looked fine, but, you know, Jake Lamb had better hands. He had better movement. He had a stronger arm. Um, it, I, I think that a lot of that stuff will matter a lot less if, if uh, you know, Tomas has 30 home run potential, um, which we don't know if he does or not. But, uh you know, I, I do think they're going to have better defensive options for sure uh, at third base. Is this is the plan here to compete in 2015? Are they looking for an immediate uh, bounce back? Is that at least uh, the uh, the rhetoric that we're getting from the front office and the new coaching staff? A, a trade for someone like Jeremy Hellickson seem, certainly seems like that's that's what they're doing. And and you know, uh, putting together. I mean, like you said, with Tomas. Uh, the power, if it's real, with Goldschmidt and Trumbo, that's a that's a nice little combo of power there. It, it, do they believe that this team can compete? Um, I don't know. I, kind of kind of starting, I guess, with the Helix in that position. I thought that was the one that didn't really fit in with a lot of other moves that they made this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trading Montero and Miley is, is kind of getting rid of some either expensive or uh, you know starting to get somewhat expensive type guys. Uh, and, and trying to get in some some younger guys with upside, whether it was Tomas or Yolan Lopez, the, the Cuban they signed for eight million, or you know in the Miley deal, getting back Alan Lutzer, Ruby De La Rosa, getting Roddy Ray. I mean, all of those things were kind of upside plays uh, for the most part. Um, and the Hellickson one, you know, was the one where they had to trade a couple of prospects away to get him. Um, I, I'm I, I don't know. I, I I think it depends on who you talk to in the organization just how optimistic they are 
Okay. Uh, Dave Stewart makes it sound like you know he doesn't have a, a concern in the world about about his roster. You know, he he seems to think that that this team is going to be very good and surprise some people. Uh, you know, Larusso was saying earlier in the offseason that he'd be disappointed if they if they didn't uh, finish with a winning record. Um, but I, I, I think, I think we're, we're just going to have to, to wait and see, uh, you know, how, how they're talking and just how optimistic they are, uh, you know, once we kind of get going here and once, uh, once games start in spring training. Yeah. Stewart is, I, I want to get to Stewart shortly because he's, he said some things and I've read some quotes, even the ones that really haven't even grabbed headlines that, uh, that I'm curious about, but we'll get to that in a second. I'll I'll try and go a little positive here with this team. I, when I look at pitching in in general, as far as you know, maybe not just uh, the major league roster currently, but uh, down the line with uh, with Bradley and uh, Aaron Blair and Braden Shipley, there's some arms that could be helping. Maybe not in 2015, but definitely in 2016. The bullpen certainly has a lot of power arms and some guys that have either succeeded in the past and are bouncing back from injury. Uh, you know, guys like Reed, Marshall, and Delgado all helped out last year. There are some interesting arms all throughout the the pitching staff. Is this some? Is that something that you can kind of look to and say, here are some positives, maybe not immediately, but, uh, you know, in the uh, semi-long-term, kind of short-term, uh, these are the bright spots for the Diamondbacks? Yeah, I think so, and I, and I think that I think that if you look at what they added in the offseason, you know, I mentioned uh, Webster, De La Rosa, Ray. They did bring in some power guys that that maybe you know to to a to a pitching staff that maybe didn't have enough of them. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens and, and how many of those guys, how many of these guys actually pan out. Um, I, I don't know. I. I I've always been a believer that if you sort of accumulate a lot of guys that have good arms and, and some potential, whether or not the numbers have really been there or not yet, uh, generally a couple of guys will, will come out and surprise you. I, I guess there's a couple of examples that come to mind. I mean, Wade Miley was a guy whose walk rate almost cut in half from his last year in the minors to his first full year in the majors. I think Josh Colmenter did something similar uh, when he got up here. And also, I mean, I think back to, you know, from this organization, I want to say it was probably 2011, uh, they had a, a really deep double-A mobile rotation. Um, and I think that if you would have ranked them at the time, um, it, would have, it would have been a lot different uh, than what it would have been a year or, or two years later. Guys like uh, Bauer, uh, Skaggs, Jared Parker, uh, Wade Miley and Corbin, um, and that might have been the order that you would have ranked it then, and you might have ranked it the exact opposite order a year or two later. Um, you know, am, am I saying that you know Robbie Ray or or Webster De La Rosa for sure are going to you know have these kinds of turnarounds? I don't know, um, but it, it you know when you have this many guys, uh, and, and like you said, Bradley is is going to be in big league camp. I think he's you know, can have a chance to compete for a job. Uh, Shipley and Blair are also going to be in camp, probably more long shots. Uh, Lopez is going to be competing for a job as well. Again, probably a long shot, but apparently he really opened some eyes with the bullpen session the other day, his first since since getting here in Arizona. Um, so who knows what happens when you get all these guys together. Yeah, I was reading something that uh, they have almost over a dozen guys with real chances, including uh... Uh, bounce back candidates, you know, uh, guys like uh, 
Arroyo and Corbin, guys who are coming back from injury, uh, competing for back end of the spots, back end spots in the rotation, which that that just seems insane. I mean, these aren't just, you know, fringe guys. These are guys that, that you know, are, are fighting for legitimate spots on on the roster. And, and there's a ton of upside there with, with the guys you mentioned. So I guess I guess you can see if you squint, you can see a, a rotation coming together that isn't isn't uh, awful but there's also that whole opposite end where if, if things don't go right this could be a really bad pitching staff oh no doubt i mean look i mean webster de la rosa ray none of them had success in the big leagues yet but if they're penciling in jeremy ellickson who's coming off a couple of, of bad years uh josh coleman are probably today is, is their opening day starter and mm-hmm. that's a guy who's never really spent a full season in a rotation never lost 200 innings um, you know, pops out at 87, 88 miles an hour with his fastball. Archie Bradley's coming off of a really bad year. I mean, there, there's reasons to be skeptical of all this stuff, too, but I, I don't know. I just kind of figure with pitching, you, you never really know. Some guys just show up sometimes in spring training throwing three or four miles an hour harder than they did last year, and sometimes it's the other way around. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. No doubt. You, you have no idea what's going to happen with pitching. Uh with Paul Goldschmidt, I, it's a hand injury, and you know, hand injuries for for power guys sometimes uh, worry me. Is this something that they're they're concerned about? Is power coming back or taking a little while to come back? Uh, what's the status? Is he a hundred percent right now and good to go? Uh, and is there any concern for uh, his offense? Not that I know of. I haven't heard anything uh, anything to worry about. The Kurt heard that there's anything to worry about. I think he uh, he been fine pretty much all offseason. I think it was one of those injuries where if there were another, say, two or three weeks left in the season, he would have been back last year. Okay. Um, I, I, I think he's I think he's also some scope. Okay. That's good to know. Obviously, uh, he's he, he kind of makes that offense tick. Uh, I said I'd get to Dave Stewart. I, you know, I, I think you wrote an article. Uh, it was about a month ago. Uh, it had that whole James Shields comments that really got the headlines about how they're an organization. Basically, uh, it it came across like he was ripping uh, stats. They were an old school. They're an old school organization that that maybe he'd appreciate more. There were some other things in that whole uh, uh, that whole. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a media session or what, but there were quite a few quotes there that had me, uh, you know. <laughs> wondering what was going on if it, he talked about the catching situation and said he's not concerned about it at all it, uh, he taught he said he he had recently assigned someone uh and and he basically said yeah i haven't really we're gonna have to cut salary but i haven't thought about that at all <laughs> it, it, it the type of things that either he's just uh he's not forward thinking at all he, he doesn't i mean you have to have some sort of plan as to how you go about things and and either he's just completely thinks the media the fans are, are just going to eat all this up without asking any further questions or I, i'm kind of confused as to how he's doing things so yeah. w- w- is he just kind of uh he, he'll just say things and you know we're not really supposed to 100 percent buy it is that what what's going on with stewart or or is it we just don't really know it, we haven't um, had enough time with them to know what's going on yeah, I mean, I think there's some aspects of that. Um, I, I think some of it, some of it's a little more like defensible, makes a little bit more sense than 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 other parts of it. I mean, the the Shields comments. I don't think he had any intention of it be, becoming what it became. I don't think he was trying to take swipes at at the an, analytic community. I mean, I I put it down at the bottom of the story because I, yeah. I was just kind of it was it was a quote to me. I had asked him basically. He was talking about how. He thought that James Shields would 
possibly be willing to take a discount to come here is kind of what he was saying. And I said something along the lines of, you know, what is it about Arizona that, that he likes so much? And, and that's what he said. And I think what he meant was, look, this is an organization that's got Tony LaRusso running it, that's got me a former player as the GM. Um, you know, this isn't, this isn't a team, you know, with, with, a, with a bunch of analytic guys that were Ivy League grads. That, that's kind of all that I think he was saying. I don't think he was saying there's no value in that. I think he was saying that from a player's perspective, they might see this as a more attractive place. Now, yeah, the, the stuff about the, the, you know, the payroll and having not, I thought that was kind of bizarre too. Um, he, he then came back a, a few days later um, and, and told a group of us that it turns out that they're not going to need to cut salary because it turns out that the money is coming from a different area of the roster or the payroll, I should say, so it looks like they're going to be okay. And then I've been told by, by other people in the organization that it's still going to be possible that they're going to have to look to, to maybe do some some cutting of, some shedding of salaries as the season goes along. And, you know, maybe that's if they fall out of contention. And someone like, I don't know, Aaron Hill or Cody Ross or Trevor Cato or, you know, those, those kinds of guys rebuild a little bit of value or, you know, they could they could probably find a home for Brad Ziegler if he comes back healthy from his knee problem, um, you know that sort of thing. But it it it, uh, it has been kind of odd. He's he said some things that that he's wound up contradicting shortly after. I, I've I've had to take a little bit of his comments so far with a grain of salt. But I mean that's not too different from from most general managers. Uh, I I think you always kind of have to read between the lines on on most of most of what all these guys say. Yeah, and I I definitely agree that. Uh, the James Shields comments kind of got blown out of proportion. I definitely what what stood out to me was what you know the what you kind of led with the the you know he didn't have a plan for how to cut payroll or anything like that. It, it just seemed odd to me, at least to admit that, or if even if that was the case, even if he was just kind of. Uh, holding his cards close to the vest, maybe, and just saying, yeah, uh, oh, I don't have a plan. It just seemed like a, a poor excuse, a poor way to deflect things in the media. But uh, but yeah. I guess that, that can always, you know, I guess that maybe that's something he, he goes uh, he goes on to learn and uh, to better handle the media and just blow us blow us off in a better way because, I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of their job, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. uh, as far as Chip Hale goes, another guy we don't really know much about. Uh, it's impossible to really, I guess it's it's really hard to say what type of manager he'll be in game. But are you getting any sense of of how he is he going to be the type of guy that's a player's manager? Is he going to be a, a guy that's good with the media? What, what kind? What what do you know about Chip Hale so far? Well, uh, Chip was the bench. Or I'm sorry, he was the third base coach here for a few years. Um, under Bob Melvin. So I, I know Chip a little bit. Um, he's a, a good guy. Uh, he's got a lot of energy. That's, that's kind of the thing that that's probably his, his defining characteristic. I mean, he's just, he's just one of those guys that's kind of, at least back when he was, uh, back when he was on the coaching staff, he was always, you know, looking for somebody to hit ground balls to. He was always, you know, out there running around. He's just that kind of guy. Um, I, I do think there's a chance he's going to be a real players manager. I mean, he, he's easy to get along with. Um, he, he's, uh, you know, just uh, one of those people that's always in a good mood, it seems like. So I think that uh, I, I think that he'll end up being well-liked by these guys. Now, most of these guys, you know, don't know him. I don't know if there's anyone that's left from when he was here uh, originally. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And I don't know, I, 
I guess with his personality, you kind of want to assume he's going to end up being a pretty aggressive manager in terms of the way he runs the game. But I mean, that's really just that's just a guess at this point. He was he was definitely known during his time um, before he was on the before he was the third base coach. He was a, a manager in the organization minor league. He was known back then as getting the most out of players. Um, you know, kind of taking these guys that were. Uh, you know, maybe maybe fringy types and, and getting a little bit more out of them. Um, and you, you heard a lot of that even back then. And he managed one of the best AAA teams that the franchise has ever had. Um, and, and I think that the Dimebacks are hoping uh, for that same thing uh, this year. They they talked a lot about it in the last couple of years that they've had a lot of people underachieving uh, what they were expecting. And they're hoping that, that Chip can, you know, get them back to, to where they ought to be and maybe even a little above that. Uh one thing that kind of surprised me, uh, we baseball prospectus posted uh, the top uh, farm systems in baseball, and the Diamondbacks uh, ranked at seven. Uh, is that was that something that came as a surprise? Is that did, did is that well known that the Diamondbacks have a really good system? Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just focusing too much on the negative with this team uh, with this organization at the moment, but but I didn't realize how good that system actually is and how well respected it may be. Um, I think that it's, I think they're probably a little high, uh, compared to, you know, what the last couple of weeks have been, you know, prospect week okay. around, <laughs> around the industry. And I, I want to say ESPN.com had them, uh, had them like 14 or 15. Okay. Um, I'm looking here at Baseball America's books. They've got, uh, oops, they, no, they've got them six according to this. So, uh, maybe it's not that high. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've, they've, it's a lot of the guys we were talking about already. Um, I mentioned Jake Lamb uh, could be an everyday position player. Brandon Drury could be an everyday position player. And then they've got some other guys kind of further down in the system. Um, but no, it's, it's a good it's a good organization. Um, it, it it all depends on I guess how high you are on on Archie Bradley and how much you're willing to to dock him for the the bad year he had. If you still think he's got a caliber you know potential, then that's enough to probably to, to bump the whole system up. Um, but you know the stuff did back up a little bit last year. The strike throwing hasn't gotten a whole, whole lot better, so I'm kind of waiting to see uh, how he looks this spring if uh, if he if he kind of got it back from from where it was a couple of years ago. Uh, Nick, before I let everyone go, I'm just trying to gauge what they think is the most not the most important, but what you're most interested in covering this year with the Diamondbacks, whether it's a storyline, an upcoming event, whatever it may be. Uh, what what are you what are you most interested in covering and writing about this year when it comes to the Diamondbacks? Um, I guess there's a few things that come to mind. I mean, Tomas, first of all, I mean, a guy that I think was their biggest free agent uh, expenditure in franchise history. Um, you know, not only is he able to play third base, but you know, is he going to be more Jose Abreu or more Diane Vicieto? Um, <laughs> Jose Lopez is, or Johan Lopez is interesting. Um, just a guy that, uh, it sort of seemed like he was a, a bit of a split in the industry as well. Some people, uh, think that that guy could be a top of the rotation type farm. Other clubs seem to think that he's more of a, uh, of a bullpen arm. Um, the Dimebacks, the Dimebacks love him. I mean, the Dimebacks are saying, you know, this is a guy that's going to be a future ace. They, they, uh, you know, they were talking when they signed and Dave Stewart, I think, said something like, this is like we get two, uh, two picks uh, first overall this year, and then that's the other thing. I'm, you know, I'm always been interested in the draft, and and, and uh, I've always loved following that. I'm, I'm curious to see what what happens there, how this how this shakes out. If there's going to be a a clear cut number one type, 
like there has been in uh, in recent years, uh, or if it's going to be, um, you know, more of a surprise at the top. So, uh, yeah, those those are probably the, the most interesting things for me. Uh, Nick, before I let you go, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you on whatever social networks you uh, you like to uh, be on and where they can read your work? Yeah, I, I write for AZ Central Sports, and that's at azcentral.com. Um, and I'm at Nick Picoro on Twitter. It's N-I-C-K-P-I-E-C-O-R-O. All right, Nick, that's Nick Picoro, Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Nick, thanks for your time. Take care. All right, that's it for the Diamondbacks. We'll be back tomorrow with a listener email show, which means we welcome your emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And you can support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And please remember that as a supplement to this podcast, in addition to picking up the BP annual, you can go to Banish to the Pen, the blog written by Effectively Wild listeners, at banishtothepen.com. They're running a Team in a Box series Every day that we put up a team preview podcast, they put up a post about the same team. So you can go check out the Diamondbacks post now. We will be back tomorrow. What number, Ben? 616. All right. 3, 2, 1 again? Yep. All right. 3, 2, 1. Good morning and welcome to... What number? (laughs) 616. All right.